Blog Talk Radio. and their versatility bring new light to many topics in and out of the world of fantasy sports. Guests can reach the show by calling 347-324-5404. Red vs. Blue Sports Talk Radio, where Planet Red and Big Blue Nation collide. Let's hope they're still friends afterwards. Here they are, Scott and Mike. Well, not Mike, it's just Scott Atkins, Team Legacy in the world of high-stakes fantasy football. This has been a uh, one exciting night for all the people here in Indianapolis. Uh, the Pacers just pulled off a big victory and uh, over the Miami Heat to tie up this series 2-2. This game is back and forth after Miami put 70 points on the Pacers in the first half. The last game, uh, the defense and, Mike, and Coach Vogel make the adjustments. And uh, the Pacers pull it off. But tonight, we've got a pretty fun show here. This is the first ever draft and go. We wanted to bring these guys in. They've been doing a great job tonight, uh, rocking and rolling. Jim Day in the chat room as uh, commissioner uh, has been uh, running this running this league for everybody tonight. And uh, things got started. And we've got a full cast in here. I'm just going to start taking a look at the teams as they started. The interesting thing is the discussion this morning started on who would be the first pick. In the first FFWC Draft and Go, the Tuesday night Draft and Goes, you can check those out at fftoolbox.com. Go to the games page and you'll be able to find those. Uh, but this draft, well, the discussion this morning started off, who's going to be the first pick, Doug Martin or Adrian Peterson? And it's been very interesting watching this develop over the summer. And sure enough, uh, the first pick in the draft, the redshirted freshman take Doug Martin. So uh, Doug Martin becomes the number one pick in the first ever draft and go for the FFWC. Pretty historic night for us as our first draft master format we've ever offered. And uh, Adrian Peterson with the second pick. Uh, that's pretty standard. You can't really go wrong with Adrian Peterson as the one pick, uh, much less the two. So uh, the first two picks this year looking very solid. The question is, what happens after those first two picks and what do you do? Because you, there's still several good running backs in this first round. It seems like it's a very deep first round for running backs this year, more so than ever before. Uh, Arian Foster, LaShawn McCoy, Spiller and Rice, and Jamal Charles, all these guys, Trent Richardson, can all be first round solid anchor picks. So the question is, what do you do uh, when you're on the clock? How are you going to solve that uh, dilemma uh, of what to do? Now, in this format, uh, we start one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end, a kicker, a defense, and two flex. 
So you can start up to four running backs or five wide receivers. So some think that the wide receivers uh, are pretty valuable, and I tend to agree wide receivers are valuable. However, this year is a very interesting mix because wide receivers are deeper than they've ever been. So it's going to be very interesting to see these draft strategies play out. We're going to take a look at them one by one as we go through here. I'm going to bring in our, our commissioner for the evening, Jim Day. Jim, you've been watching this draft. What are you? What's your takeaway, your biggest takeaway from this draft, man, that's uh, – that, uh, that you've seen develop over, overall tonight? Well, you know, we, we've talked about this before, and a lot of these drafts usually tend to go wide receiver heavy early, but we're seeing the switch. We're seeing running backs come off the board fast and furious to start the first two rounds. That's what I'm looking at here. I see the uh, the color-coded draft grid here, and it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting to see what, uh, what these guys are – what these guys are up to and how these teams are going to develop. I haven't got a chance to take a look at that yet, but we're going to break it down. The franchise, Nelson Souza, takes Calvin Johnson at the three pick and turns down the top running backs on the board there, Foster and Charles. Those seem to be Foster, Charles, Trent Richardson to me are those guys there that are about the four pick that you needed to consider. Uh, Calvin Johnson is the pick there. It'll be interesting to see what he does at running back. Let's just take a look, Jim. He takes Darren McFadden with the second pick. A lot of risk, obviously, in Darren McFadden anytime you draft him. But I do look like I do like what he did in the sixth round. He waited until the sixth. Very interesting uh, for a Shane Vereen. A uh, lot of potential there, especially in the PPR formats, Jim. Shane Vereen in the sixth round. How do you feel about him uh, being an RB two in a draft master format? Well, I don't love him as a, an RB2. RB3, definitely, I, I like him a lot more. RB2, I mean, you definitely have to fill a lot of spots behind him and hope you get, you know, a few good weeks out of a couple of different guys to be able to, you know, produce at an RB2 level with those guys. Well, it's uh, it, it's very interesting to see. You, you kind of have to take what the draft gives you, and, and a lot of times when push comes to shove, you really can't make that decision to pass up on a – Roddy White, like Nelson did, he he didn't take he, he couldn't pass him up. He had to take him there. Maybe even a a Randall Cobb would make sense there, or a Larry Fitzgerald now with Carson Palmer slipping to the third round, which is pretty common for what we're seeing now. So it makes it very difficult to take a running back with question marks like a Ridley who's in a timeshare, a Lamar Miller who we're not sure about yet, or even an injured Demarco Murray when you can get that stud wide receiver. But the problem is you need that running back to really feel good leaving the draft. No, absolutely. If you let your running backs go too long before you start picking them, I mean, you're you're really asking for trouble this year. The wide receivers are so deep that, you know, you, you want to try and get a couple of those decent starter running backs early. This is the first ever draft and go that the uh, guys here at FFWC and FF Toolbox have offered. Uh, it's the Tuesday night draft, so if you want to get signed up for those, uh, we'll have these every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock. We'll be looking at ADP, evaluating the ADP, where everybody's going. you got to remember that it is a draft master, and that means it's a best ball format. So you're not having to put in a starting lineup, which, look, as a, as a high-stakes player and a drafter for, for many, many years here, I, I always tend to make a big run on running backs and then just take those wide receivers that are going to have those big games. It used to be the guys like Devery Henderson, you know, somebody that would, would, would you'd be able to plug in. You would never start him. But he would be a guy that you could you could uh, use in a draft master format. A guy like a Santana Moss, somebody that you could never count on week to week. But in a draft master format, when when you've got eight or nine wide receivers on your team, the best guys are going to start. And so those guys that have those big games, 
uh, every now and then, they become pretty easy to just plug in. So I always like to load up on the running backs. What about you, Jim? You play a lot of draft masters. You're the king of draft masters. So is that is that kind of how you're going to looking at things this year? Absolutely. And this is 180-degree difference from last year for me. Last year I definitely did not like the running back early uh, look. I, I hated the, the values that people were thinking they were getting in the first two rounds with running backs. This year it's totally the opposite for me. I'm finding when I'm doing these uh, draft masters, I really like to come out of the first four rounds with at least three running backs. And I know that goes counterproductive to what these, you know, a lot of people think when you have to start three wide receivers. But when you can come around out of the fourth, fifth, and sixth round with, you know, like guys like uh, in some cases Akeem Nix, I've gotten Roddy White in the fourth round, things like that. It, it just it's too good not to. Uh, this is uh, pretty interesting to see that we had um, 10 running backs, or uh, I'm sorry, nine running backs go in the first round. It's kind of back to the basics, Jim. I feel like we're kind of backtracking maybe five years here where the running backs kind of dominated the first round, and then you picked up your wide receivers or your quarterbacks later. Um, and we can always talk all day long uh, for, about the quarterbacks dropping this year. There's just so many quarterbacks this year. Philosophy-wise, in Draftmaster, Jim, do you feel like you have to get two of those top 12, 14 guys, or you feel pretty good with one? No, I feel pretty good with one because it's definitely a, a good you know, tier in that second uh, uh, range of quarterbacks that I really like. You know, there's guys that have some tremendous upside. Ryan Tannehill, I think, presents a lot of upside this year. Uh, Carson Palmer is another one I think presents a lot of upside this year. So when you can get guys like Eli Manning, Big Ben, you know, these are all guys that are falling into outside of those top 12. When you can get those kind of guys as a backup, that's solid. And I, I tend to agree. This uh, draft master format, you can always play the QBBC, the quarterback by committee method. It seems to work very well. Nobody did it any better this year or in this draft, I'm sorry, than FFQB, the QB uh, Dominic LaFerriere here. He, he waited until the 11th round, Jim, to take a quarterback, and he put together a combination of Sam Bradford, came back in the 13th with Carson Palmer, and took Alex Smith. Is that a trio that you would feel good about? I I like it enough to, you know, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of hard because you feel like you're kind of behind the eight ball. But when you push, when you put up uh, stat wise, and you say, okay, here's a Matt Ryan, does a Sam Bradford Carson Palmer combination keep the pace? with a Matt Ryan if you take him early? They can. Absolutely they can. And, it, you know, having two against one is always going to give you better odds. And I would like it better if I thought he had a real strong team otherwise. Uh, he's definitely got some holes that I'm not real fond on. If you're going to wait that long for QB, one of these positions has to be extremely tight. And, you know, he's got a couple of good wide receivers, but then he's got a lot of chances. He's got a couple of good running backs, but then he's got a lot of chances. And the tight end position, I mean, he's got all chances. So, you know, he didn't really firm any one position by waiting that long on QB. Uh, this is the Red versus Blue show. I've got uh, Johnny Duckworth in the chat room tonight, and he's saying he killed the draft. So let's go ahead and just take your eyes to the right of the page there. And we've got um, we've got his start. Trent Richardson falls to the 11th round, maybe on the injuries, but he does fall there. Uh, Matt Forte, an excellent second-round running back in this format. Absolutely love that because, again, look, this is a guy that was being drafted in the middle of the first not too long ago. 
I know people kind of got worried with the with uh, Michael Bush coming on, but look, he's still Matt Forte, still a fantasy beast, and will still uh, continue to share and uh, or carry the load for the Chicago Bears. Now, very interesting. I don't know if Johnny thought he was in the uh, FFPC or not, but he takes Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski. I, n- I know he doesn't. It's a joke, but uh, very interesting. We talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, Jimmy, about Rob Gronkowski falling to the fourth round. And not only did he take Hernandez, but he decided to take Gronkowski in a draft master format, feeling like he's going to get the depth at wide receiver later. He takes Wallace, Jennings, Britt, Macklin, and uh, takes some shots later in the draft. I think he kind of pulled it off and then takes a flyer on Michael Crabtree in the 20s. So look, he's got the, he's got the wide receivers. He's got an extra flex there. When Gronk, you know, if Gronkowski's back, it's not just a flex; it's an automatic MVP. So, what do you think about that strategy? No, I like it. Definitely different type of strategy. You know, uh, hopefully both of these guys are ready for Week One and, and ready to play. But even if not, you know, even if these are the guys that are so strong at the position that even if you get ten, twelve games out of them, you're getting two very strong tight ends here. Yeah, I kind of like it. Uh, at first, I was kind of shocked by it. I was watching it on the phone as I watched the game and. And I saw the Hernandez pick. I was like, okay. But then he followed it up with Gronk. I was like, geez, okay. So, you know, he's got an extra flex there. If, if Gronkowski does come back, he's got he's got uh, a guy every week that you're going to put in there. But if he doesn't come back, Hernandez obviously becomes probably one of the most valuable tight ends in the league. Uh, let's keep looking at some of uh, at how some of these teams panned out. I want to see a couple of things that maybe surprised me a little bit. Uh, I was waiting for David Wilson to come off the board as I watched the draft, and and I kind of. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what is everybody waiting for? Uh, I'm not, I'm not seeing a lot of names that really offend me. Uh, but if, okay, you've got Welker, Bo, Decker, Jordy, Garcon, all over Wilson. Uh, I almost, I almost feel like he should be a little bit earlier than that, uh, Jimmy. Well, you know, again, we're dealing with a guy that we saw in very limited action last year. Everybody's assuming he's going to be the the outright starter this year. I'm not one of them. I think Andre Brown is the guy they go to early and they bring in Wilson as the change of pace guy. So, you know, for me, I, I think that's a really good spot for him. I've actually seen him going a lot earlier than that. And I'm just not sure you can buy into that yet. He has a long way to go on pass protection. And until he does, it's going to be a hard time for him to, to get, you know, 175, 200 touches. Yeah. Well, that's the only issue is, is, is what is that timeshare going to look like? And, I don't know. I think maybe the, the, the idea is to go in as a timeshare, but I think you're going to start to see that explosiveness difference. Uh, it's almost, uh, it, you know, okay, Fred Jackson's is serviceable. Uh, Andre Brown is serviceable. But I think when you see a C.J. Spiller or a David Wilson on the field, you kind of say, gosh, you got to get that guy the ball. And so I, I think people that that guy's name is probably going to climb, especially once we get to Vegas and we've seen a little bit of preseason action. If that guy busts just one long run, Jimmy, that's a guy that's going to get up there and climb up there into that late second, uh, potentially early third round. So remember, Doug Martin did the same thing. Right before Vegas last year, Doug Martin skyrocketed him and was a first-round pick. And they almost paid for it, but he did come back in the second half of the season. And, you know, you bring up C.J. Spiller, but it took a Fred Jackson injury for him to actually – become that starting guy and uh you know the same very much could be the case with david wilson i have nothing against his running style but if again if he can't pass block it's going to be hard for him to get you know 15 18 touches a game 
you're probably looking at a guy who's going to max out at 10, 12 touches a game. Now, he could definitely do some damage with that. But, you know, if you are going to go get him, then I would absolutely suggest getting Andre Brown, too. Uh, Jim Day, of a.k.a. Fantasy Taz on Twitter, is with us tonight. did a fantastic job of commissioning the draft and, and, and watching this from a firsthand uh, perspective. You see the quarterbacks there, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning. Those are kind of the big names that kind of stand out. Kind of interesting to see Matt Ryan and Tom Brady uh, ahead of Cam Newton. For me, I feel like this is still a Cam Newton-dominated team, whereas both of those other teams, Atlanta and New England, it seems like they're a little more balanced uh, all the way across the board. Am I a little too bullish on Cam Newton to think that he should be the number four quarterback? I mean, number three or four, actually. I mean, I think he's just that good and that important to the team. Not not a deal breaker either way, but I, I just feel that Cam Newton. Uh, I don't I don't know what is there not to like about that guy. Well, I mean, if you go back to last year, he got off to a terrible start. Didn't have any clue what he was doing on the field. Everything was ruffling his feathers and. Uh, he definitely looked like he was a little disjointed. But as the season wore on, it looked like obviously somebody was working with him quite closely because you could see that, you know, maybe maturity might not be the right word, but you could see it getting there. And uh, that's the big thing with him. If if he can get over that hump and, you know, put all the stuff behind him and not let it get into his head, then I think you'll see a more consistent quarterback. You know, would do I think I would have him before Ryan? Yes. Uh, probably I do, but at the same time, I can't fault somebody else for not. Well, you hit it on the head. It was a tale of two halves for Cam Newton, the number 12 quarterback over the first eight weeks and the number one quarterback over the second half of the season. So very interesting to see what, what, what happens there as the uh, as the draft develops. But in the sixth round, you got to feel good about that. It's funny, nine route, Mike, he ends up following up Cam Newton with an Andrew Luck. Now, I'm not a guy in a draft master format to take two quarterbacks that early just because I feel like you've already kind of done your part with Cam Newton in the sixth. And so the question is, how many times are you going to get a lift from an Andrew Luck over a Cam Newton in the season? Now, granted, you can lock it up, but there's some guys there. Let's take a look at that seventh round and see if there's any names that kind of stand out to me. Now, I'm going to be honest here for a second. I see Tavon Austin. That's kind of an electric, exciting pick. A James Jones, more of a steady pick, but he was very good in the second half last year. Kenny Britt, Bolden, Jonathan Stewart, Macklin. You know, these are kind of guys, I feel like you're just sacrificing a good filler position. I mean, this is a deep lineup. This is The FFWC is home of now the 11-man starting lineup, and it's really important to have those positions filled every week because somebody else is going to have them, and they're going to beat you if not. So it's very hard for me to take two quarterbacks early on when I need those starting – I need this talent early on to be able to fill that lineup every week? Uh, you're going to get absolutely no argument from me. I want that one stud, and then I'm going to wait a while to get my number two, uh, you know, or and then two and three. Because that two and three, if you wait a while and get into the, you know, 12th, 13th, 14th round and take a couple of the, the Tannehills and, you know, even the Braden and Whedon, uh, that late, you'll probably get better production out of those two as you're two and three than you will actually get out of luck, in, especially when you consider what you could have gotten in, in place of luck. Let's take a look at some of these other drafters and their strategies. I like to take a look at what they're doing. Mark Moyer is a name synonymous with Draftmaster, so let's take a look at him. He drafted out of the nine hole. 
And it's right par for the course, Jimmy. I've been watching drafts, and Ray Rice has been falling. I don't know if it's because of Bernard Pierce or the change, uh, the, you know, the loss on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but Ray Rice has been falling, and this is a guy that has been nothing but a dominant stud in fantasy. Uh, even if you look at the second half of last year where, where Bernard Pierce started to pick up steam, uh, Ray Rice was still the, the number six quarterback overall in the second half of the year, number three quarterback in the first half, or, or running back, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, he, he's not throwing the ball now. Uh, but, you know, Ray Rice at the nine pick, you can't fault anybody for taking him there. It's kind of like just falling in your lap. And that's what it does, and that's why I actually love anywhere between the nine and 11 pick. I think it's the best spot this year because you're going to get one of those top running backs falling into your lap. In some cases, it's been LaShawn McCoy. I love that. I'll take that all day, especially in that offense. You know, Ray Rice, that falls to you, that's great. You turn around second round, you can still get another stud running back if you want, you know, one of the top tight ends. It, it just gives you so many more open areas. And like you said, there's so many good running backs in that front. If one or two guys takes those top two wide receivers, you're going to get a great stud running back to start. Reggie Bush as the 11th running back off the board, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not – I mean, I, I love the fact that he's in Detroit. It, it's like we might be able to see – but we've seen him in dynamic offenses before. We saw him in New Orleans, and it seems like that that's a nice type of a role for him there. Uh, but he's not just there, – there's another back there by the name of Mikel LaShore that everybody's kind of obviously – you know, they're totally down on right now. But it is going to be kind of a timeshare situation still. And so to see him being drafted ahead of names that you know are going to get the lion's share of the carries, I mean, Alfred Morris falls to 211. Uh, Darren Sproles, Darren McFadden were taken before Alfred Morris. I'm not so sure about the Darren Sproles pick, if that was a legit pick by Lork or not, but Alfred Morris at 211 seems incredibly Wait, what's wrong low. with Darren Sproles in this, in this scoring system, PPR scoring system? What's wrong with Sproles? <laughs> Talking about a guy who caught over 70 balls and missed three games last year. You know, maybe I'm being a little too hard on him. Maybe I'm being a little too hard on him. You know, he is that guy, and and you get uh, you get your head, you get Sean Payton back. Uh, things are going to, uh, you know, probably line up for for Sproles. I I just feel like uh, it is a crowded backfield. Uh, you you have to uh, rely on the big plays. He 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 definitely creates those. It's it's very tough to stop that offense. So, you know, he's one of those guys that I'm probably uh, unfairly down on. But when I see guys like Alfred Morris, Maurice Jones-Drew, guys that I know are going to be workhorse backs that are going to touch the ball a lot more, it just seems like it's a much safer situation for me. I like touches. I like touches. Uh, you get, you know, he gets the catches. He just doesn't get enough carries for my taste. He feels more like a, a, a third-round guy than a second, but that's okay. I'm not going to argue. I just, I just see when I'm when I was I really started this conversation about Reggie Bush. And when he's going in front of guys like Alfred Morris, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me just yet. I haven't really digested the whole Reggie Bush situation to be able to take him that high. But Mark obviously likes him. Well, I like him too. I, I do. I, you know, uh, people are worried about LaShore. I'm actually not. I think LaShore gets the goal line touches, uh, and that's going to be a lot of it. Um, I, I think you're going to see Bush as their main guy, and they're going to make the short passing game become their running game. And I'm not going to be surprised, and the team has already come out and said they're looking for him to catch 80-plus balls. And, you know, this is a guy who can absolutely get it done. There was a lot of worry about his injuries early in his career, but he's been healthy the last couple of years and running very strong, and he's in a great situation. Well, and, and it, it, he does have 
what's the word? He does, you know, if you catch 50 balls in this league, you're usually going to be a top 10 running back. It's very hard not to be. Uh, that's just the way it goes. If, if you're getting carries somewhat, at least over 100 carries, you're catching 50 balls, the, 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 the statistics show you're going to be a top 10 top type of running back. So I guess I'm, I, I just, I'm not sold uh, against it. It's just a little surprising to see him going at 2-4, uh, maybe maybe that will change uh, by the time we get uh, get to Vegas in September. This is Scott Atkins, uh, part of the uh, FF Toolbox Red vs. Blue show. we got Jim Day on here tonight. Uh, Mike Trent will be with us on Friday night. But we're checking out this uh, first-ever draft and go league. We're doing these every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock. Another interesting name that comes up, uh, Larry Fitzgerald last year was a huge disappointment. He seemed like one of the guys that was a very safe pick last year uh, because of what he's done with subpar quarterbacks in the past, Jim. We've seen what subpar quarterbacks, when he's when he's had them in the past in Arizona, before Kurt Warner, he was still a top wide receiver. Last year, that didn't happen. Now, is that all depend on the quarterback and the offense? Or, I mean, is that all on Carson Palmer's shoulders right now? Because is it more, is it, is it offensive line? Is it play calling? What, what, are, what do we expect from Larry Fitzgerald this year? I expect Larry Fitzgerald to climb right back into top five wide receiver status. Absolutely do. With this offense, with, with Carson Palmer in there, and, you know, I, I know people get down on Carson Palmer, but look what he did last year with the receiving core he did have in, in Oakland. I mean, in the first 14 weeks, he was a top 12 quarterback. Um, so this is a guy who can get it done. Now you put him in an offense with a coordinator that loves to go deep, which is his strong game. Just let him go back and fire. They improve the offensive line or what looks to be improving the offensive line and go out and spend the seventh round, seventh pick on a, a strong guard. Uh, you know, definitely this is a team I really like to put up some points this year. I really like Carson Palmer to thrive in this offense, and I'm looking for Fitzgerald to climb right back into the top ranks. Well, in a 3-7, you can't really complain. You, If you start off the draft with Sean McCoy and Steven Jackson, you got to be pretty happy about getting a Larry Fitzgerald that has a Carson Palmer. Now Pierre Garçon I absolutely love. Chris Ivory, very interesting pick in the fifth round. Uh, this is a guy that I think will continue to climb because he's going to get the lion's share of the carries in New York. And, and look, let's face it, the, the offense has to be better uh, than last year. And, and Sean Green is gone now. He, he's off to Tennessee as a backup for Chris Johnson. So Chris Ivory's going to get a legitimate shot, especially with the, uh, the whole Mike Goodson drama there. So I also like the Josh Gordon pick in the sixth round. Is that a little bit too early for him? I know he's, he's kind of the dynasty darling right now, but redraft is a different ballgame. And Josh Gordon in the sixth round, that's a pretty significant investment in a guy that's only showed us a couple of games. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. There was a couple guys on the board I'd probably take over him, but, I mean, he did show a lot in those games. <laughs> um, and, you know, I do expect a little bit better out of Brandon Whedon in year two. Uh, I think this whole offense is going to be a little bit more explosive now. Uh, Rob Chudzinski is definitely going to make some difference. North Turner is definitely going to make some difference. So, I, you know, I can absolutely see the uptick in his value uh, you know, the guy that went right after him is the guy I probably would have taken there, and that's Steve Smith. And for some reason, he continues to be underrated when it comes to fantasy from fantasy owners. Yeah. Steve Smith is the guy that, uh, look, there's not a lot else on that roster. Maybe Brandon LaFell comes in. Maybe Greg Olson gets his. Uh, but, uh, so yeah, Steve Smith, uh, everybody's kind of waiting for that injury, kind of like Frank Gore, and it just never happens. Uh Let's take a look at another team that uh, obviously we, we, we want to keep our eye on and see what uh, what what they're doing. 
Um, we have uh, Mark Quitch uh, from the two-pick. Adrian Peterson, Alfred Morris, Maurice Jones-Drew. Now, that's the kind of start that's just absolutely you've got to be thrilled about. Now, I, I heard a little bit about the Maurice Jones-Drew thing today. I haven't really got up to speed with it, but I, but I did read what's happening. I don't think that's going to be any kind of significant um, issue in the league. I've never heard about him causing trouble before. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Jimmy, but we've been talking. There's an article up right now, Ben Standing, up on FFToolbox.com. Is MJD the next, this year's Adrian Peterson? Now, we don't expect a, a dominant rushing performance from, from that, but look, he's still the bowling ball, right? And he, and he catches a lot of balls, and Rashad Jennings is gone, so, you know, you've got a Denard Robinson there. But look, this is Maurice Jones-Drew, and if he's back, You've got to expect a, a pretty good season from him uh, because he's had plenty of time off to heal. Yeah, absolutely. You're talking about a guy who's probably got pretty fresh legs, even at his age right now, because he's had so much time off to heal. So, you know, it it'll be really nice to see him in preseason and, and a little bit of what he's got left. But uh, at this point, you're you're really taking faith that he's going to be ready to go. Well, I love the start. Three running backs right off the bat. That's the kind of start that I like. Um, not a draft master expert or anything like that, but I do like to start off like that. Let's see what happens with the rest of his team. Reggie Wayne in the fourth, Peyton Manning in the fifth, T.Y. Hilton, Cecil Shorts. Uh, okay, so this is the type of uh, wide receiver core that I'm that I'm thinking gets things done in this format. Uh, you do need to start three every week though, and with bye weeks, that lineup could be kind of kind of a concern with Reggie Wayne, Hilton, Shorts, Hartline as your four. Brandon Lloyd as your five, Andre Hawkins as your fifth. Now, I like that. I mean, that's the type of guy that, you know, that kind of makes sense in a draft match. You can't count on him in a redraft when you submit your lineup. But in a draft master, it makes a lot of sense. There's Jonathan Baldwin, Brandon Gibson. I mean, he's just kind of taking some flyers there. I would have, I would have probably preferred to take a couple more flyers, maybe even in the 10th, 11th uh, range where he's taking some other tight ends. I mean, look. Is Brandon Myers really going to be that much better than maybe like a, a Dwayne Allen in the 18th round? I'm not so sure. And so I, I would probably like to help out that wide receiver core. Maybe get a maybe get a sexy pick like a Dobson or maybe a, a, a Patterson. You know, something like that that maybe would give a little bit of life to that receiving core because it feels a little thin to me when you have to start three every week. It, it, and it is. And I have a little concern over T.Y. Hilton this year. I mean, the team's already – come out and said they're, they're going to get more ball control with the offense. They're going to throw a lot more shorter passes. It's going to get the running back involved in the passing game. And that all equates to T.Y. Hilton taking a little bit of a hit because, let's face it, he was a one-trick pony. He was going deep. They were throwing deep, and that's what they wanted to do with him last year. If they rein that in, you're going to see his numbers come down a, a bit. And, you know, then, then it scares me a little bit. I, I love the way he started, like you said, with the three running backs. What I would have done differently is I wouldn't have went after Peyton in the fifth. I would have gotten my second wide receiver because he still could have gotten two really good wide receivers to start his his grouping there. Right after Peyton Manning went Hakeem Nix or Vincent Jackson or Marcus Colston, you know, all guys I would have rather have there as my wide receiver too as opposed to Peyton because, like we talked about earlier, quarterbacks are so deep you can still get a really solid starter seventh, eighth round. Well, and any time value falls to you like that, I can't fault you in taking the running backs. And as a matter of fact, it's a pretty sound strategy in Draftmaster. But at that point in the draft, for me, I feel like I have to go ahead and shore up that wide receiver spot because it will be the death of you if you don't. 
you, know, you can't really take that luxury pick in Peyton Manning. It's a little risky for me. So I feel like you kind of want to you you want to shore up that wide receiver spot, like you were saying. Go ahead and take a Nick or a, or a Vincent Jackson or a Colson, whatever your flavor is there. Get that wide receiver spot shored up. Now it's interesting you brought up about the Colts because when when you start to think of the names, I, I guess if they're if they're wanting to go to shorter passes, I almost feel like Hilton's game has to change a little bit. Now Reggie Wayne can be the biggest beneficiary of that because look. Darius Hayward Bay, he's not a, a short type option uh, wide receiver, and T.Y. Hilton wasn't last year. Uh, so you, either the tight end's role has to expand, uh, or some wide receiver has to come out of the blue because right now Hilton and Darius Hayward Bay don't fit that bill. Right, I agree. I totally agree, so, and that's so what maybe, I, has me a little concerned. So, you know, hard to trust him as my wide receiver too. Yeah, I, I, I'm just thinking. I'm I'm piggybacking off what you said, but I think maybe. What that leads to is T.Y. Hilton's game expanding a little bit, and maybe we see a, another side of T.Y. Hilton. And so, yeah, there is a, there there may be a little bit of risk there. Let's 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 take a look at Brian Harwood here, uh, Mr. Chrome himself, uh, A.J. Green, Des Bryant. Uh, vicious, vicious start to see Des Bryant fall into a two seven. Uh, that's that's just incredible value to me when I feel like he's a first round talent. Stephen Ridley, David Wilson, he's, he's, he's okay. Marquez Colston, Monty Ball, I love that pick in the third round. He really put that roster together pretty solid through six. Let's see what, what else he does. Tony Romo, Miles Austin, he has both the Dallas wide receivers. I've seen that work before. And then uh, then he gets his tight end. And then he takes a couple more flyers. Sanders uh, for Pittsburgh, who's going to have a much bigger role. Fred Jackson, kind of a risky pick there uh, in the 11th round, especially with his age. Gay Teeth Miller, I think. Okay, so so through ten rounds, I like his draft a lot. I like his draft a lot. I'm not real high on Austin, but at that point in the draft, taking another wide receiver, nothing wrong with that, especially in this format. I really like his draft through ten rounds. Not a big fan of the picks that he made after you know ten through fifteen, sixteen that I'm looking, but I haven't really analyzed the draft. Uh, I, I like that start that through first, through the ten rounds. Yeah, no, it's hard to fault it. Like you say, it's a it's good, solid start there. And, you know, these guys have got some real play there. He took some chances later on, but he's got a nice base to work with. Yeah, I uh, I like Monty Ball as a third running back this year. I don't want him as my RB2. I know a lot of people are talking about him being a bell cow in Denver, but I don't think uh, the coaching staff nor Peyton are going to put him into the fray just that quick. I mean, you do have some talent on that roster. I don't think McGahee has left the building yet. I think he's on his way out. Uh, you have no Sean Moreno. I'm not sure is he going to make the roster. You got Ronnie Hillman, who's definitely going to be there for you know uh, third down duties every once in a while. So it's a very crowded situation. And let's face it, it's Peyton's team. He's got he's got a lot of mouths to feed there. Uh, Monty's got a real uphill battle to be a, a what's considered a fantasy RB two in his first year. Uh, yeah, I can't, can't argue that. I mean, it's definitely going to be in, uh, weird to see which one of these guys steps up uh, out in Denver and really takes the reins. At this, as far as we know right now, it could still be Willis McGay who's getting the first start uh, for this team. We, it's just a weird situation. And, you know, people out in Denver are talking up Monty Ball, but that happens every year after the draft. Everybody's talking up the rookies. Let's see what happens in preseason. Oh, man, what a night, Jimmy. The Pacers got their big W over the heat. The series is tied back at 2-2. We had a great draft here tonight. Let's take a look at this uh, this number one pick. Everybody kind of likes the one pick. I know you said earlier that you're kind of digging that 
that 8-9 range of the draft, the back part of the draft. But at the end of the day, when you have the one pick, it's nobody's fault but your own. If you don't, you know, you have the chance to start the draft the way you want. And Dave decides to take Doug Martin with the one pick. We talked about that at the beginning of the show. Doug Martin had 49 catches last year. He, I think he had 70-something targets for reception. So there's a, there's a little bit more that I think he can do at the receiving level. Which that's that's kind of why I give him that edge over Adrian Peterson, just because well, number one, he's younger. Number two, he looked damn near just as good, uh, especially in the second half of the season. Looked like an absolute monster, like setting up for a really big year too. Uh, so I I can't fault a Doug Martin pick at all in the beginning of the draft. What he does with it afterwards, Percy Harvin in Seattle, we don't know how that's going to shake out, but it, but you would have to think. I mean, that's a team. Seattle has a total team effort, and they too have a lot of mouths to feed, Jimmy. What? Do you, what do you think about Percy Harvin over a guy like Roddy White and Randall Cobb? New offense is always scary for me. New offense, new quarterback. I'm always a little leery of doing that before guys like trusted connections like Ryan to Roddy or or uh, Rogers to Cobb. You know, something like that. I'm always I'm always a little gun shy of taking that real risk for that huge. Especially, I mean, look, he's got a lot of risk written all over him. Well, I don't know if he's got a lot of risk written all over him. I mean, we everybody's all concerned about the injury history with him, but, you know, he hasn't missed very many games um, at all in his career. I mean, last year was the worst. So I I like him in this offense. I I know that they're absolutely going to find ways to get him involved in so many different ways just to really, you know, keep the defenses at bay. And, you know, I think he puts up a big number, but I'm also with you in that I think I take the Roddy White or the Randall Cobb over him just because, a little bit more known, you know, connection there. Well, uh, again, I think his best year was wide receiver eight. Um, so that's kind of the baseline of what we've seen him do in the past. That's a very impressive uh, finish for any wide receiver. But let's take a look at the rest of his draft. Dave, uh, from the one hole, Doug Martin, Percy Harvin, Chris Johnson falling to the third round, Ryan Matthews uh, in the fourth round. A lot of people don't like Ryan Matthews. I did take a second look at him because he's a guy that I quickly dismissed because I I dismissed him, you know, pretty much last year after the preseason injury. And then uh, I started to take a second look in this offseason after after some teams started to uh, talk to me about him. And, and when you start to look at him, look, uh, he was kind of on pace again for a similar season in 2012. After he missed those first two games, he was kind of on a pace for a pretty decent uh, decent season, and, and it was kind of a surprise. There weren't a lot of big games, but they were startable games, nothing really exciting. Uh, but the fact is he was on pace for, uh, you know, another 50-catch type season. That's not bad. Uh, if, and if he can be healthy, they didn't really do anything to address the running back situation. Do you think there's any life left in this guy at this point? Well, actually, now at least he presents a little bit of value. Last year, people were considering him, you know, in the fifth pick of the draft, and it definitely didn't represent any value to me at that point because of the injury history, and it came to fruition once again last year. You know, at least now he represents a little value. You're taking a shot, but you're not risking your first-round pick. Uh, Definitely I like that chance a little more, but I'll tell you the truth. that You said they didn't really address the running back position, but i got to disagree with you. I think Danny Woodhead – brings a lot of stuff to this table that he does better than Ryan Matthews. He pass protects better. He catches better. Uh, he runs inside better sometimes. Uh, you know, this is a kid that could absolutely be a sneaky pick in this in this year's fantasy drafts. 
He's going well, to get some right. starts I, playing behind Matthews. <laughs> I, I do stand corrected. They did they did bring in Woodhead, and, and I and I know they rue the day that they uh, they let Darren Sproles uh, go, and they saw what he did in New Orleans. I I, I think that the the point I'm trying to get at is this is the type of guy that you have to kind of get your head around as a drafter because. It might be a guy that you don't like, and because of last year, you didn't like, and you kind of hit it on the head, you didn't like where you had to take him. This year is a totally different situation. You kind of have to get your head around the math and the numbers of the guy here, and the fact is what he does at the end of the fourth round for the running backs that are there on the board, it's a pretty decent position. I mean, you're asking yourself, do you take a Vic Ballard here or Chris Ivory? You know, we talked about Monty Ball earlier, maybe a Shane Vereen, one of those guys. It seems like Ryan Matthews has a little bit more potential than those guys that I mentioned, especially on that offense that has to be a little bit better uh, than than they have been. So, look, Chris Johnson, Matthews, Doug Martin, Ryan Matthews is an RB3, no problem. Percy Harvin, I'm not going to fault you for him, for him being your number one. Danny Amendola in a new offense with Tom Brady is your number two. Justin Blackman has a suspension to serve. But, see, I like what he did. He fired away at wide receivers. Givens, Patterson, Little, Quick. Huge upside guys, you know, that they, they they present uh, quite a bit of uh, intrigue. And then even a, a Keenan Allen later in the draft. That's the kind of wide receivers that I really like to see. And then he, he takes a Mark Ingram. He gets his quarterbacks. He fires away at sixth in the seventh round at Kaepernick and Wilson. I'm still not convinced that that's the best strategy when you can get a guy like a Dalton later in the 13th round. I mean, if you have a Kaepernick, do you need a Wilson? If you have a Wilson, do you need a Kaepernick? I think it's a little overkill at the position, but we'll see how this works out. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I, we've, we've talked about it a couple of times now. I'm not a, a fan of taking two quarterbacks this early in an 11-man format, maybe in a 10, but definitely not in 11 because you have to start them every week, and you've got bye weeks, and you've got injuries that you have to get through, and you have bad games. I mean, let's face it, even Aaron Rodgers uh, can't stand alone. Uh, he has some bad games, and, and so – it doesn't matter who you have, uh, you, you have to make sure that you can cover that starting lineup every single week. So good effort, though. I, I, I do like the effort. I like the wide receiver. I love the Jordan Cameron pick in the 11th. Everybody's kind of talking about him as kind of the the guy to get at tight end this year, and I'm not quite sure that we're going to see you know the flourishing of Cameron this year, but I think you're going to see uh, um, a development start to take place in Cameron. I mean, you've got Whedon. We don't know what we have with Whedon, and that's kind of the drawback of Gordon, too. But you do have a good running back. You have a good uh, coaching staff kind of in place now, so let's see what what develops there. Uh, What do you think about a Jordan Cameron, Rob Hausler, Zach Ertz being your tight end foundation and holding the fort down? Not a big fan. Um, I like Cameron, but I I trust him a heck of a lot more as my tight end, too. Um, the other guys, you're taking big chances there. I mean, Philly's tight end staff is all of a sudden, you know, flush with uh, with people there. So it's going to be hard to see who really comes out of it. Taking a lot of chances uh, on this team. And like you said, he got the two quarterbacks back-to-back, but then he didn't get a third. I think in this format, it's strong to get a third. Uh, like you said, these guys, every guy is going to have a bad game here and there, and you want to have that other choice, especially with 26 roster spots. Take a look in the middle of the draft here. We've got one of the ladies uh, that drafted tonight. Pimpin' ain't breezy. Candace Schlisser. Um, we we know of uh, one of the, the other Schlissers in the family that knows what the heck she's doing. Candace decides to jump in tonight, and, and, and what she does is 
as I'm looking at the draft right now, pretty darn respectable. C.J. Spiller, Brandon Marshall, Lamar Miller, Jordy Nelson. It's a nice, safe two-on-two type environment. You 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 went running back, wide receiver. You come back, running back, wide wide receiver. You're never going to get caught on a run by going RB, RB and hoping that wide receivers are there. I, I kind of like doing that. That always feels safe to me. Matt Ryan in the fifth. You can't fault that. Torrey Smith in the sixth. Vernon Davis in the seventh. Kendall Wright in the eighth. A lot of people can argue that they didn't see anything special out of Wright, but he did play very well in college for RG3, so people are still expecting kind of a game to develop in Kendall Wright. Jonathan Franklin and Zach Stacy, a couple of flyer running backs. And then she starts to fill in some gaps here. Pettigrew, Broyles, Flacco, Gillisley. Eh, you know, I mean, look, that's not a bad effort for uh, sitting in the middle of the draft and, and kind of letting whatever comes to you come to you. She, she's not really worried about getting caught on a run because of the way she positioned her team. Running backs, wide receivers, she can kind of take best player available. Uh, you don't you don't like that, huh? We lost no, I, Jimmy. I do like that. Sorry about that. My phone uh, wigged out on me. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I do like that solid foundation to start. I do like that because then, like you say, you can go best player available going forward. You're not forced into taking one or the other. So uh, definitely a good way to start. Definitely a, a nice rounded roster with some good depth. I like it. Yeah, I like it. You get Flacco late in the third. See, that's the type of QB2 that I think would suffice just fine. If you take a good quarterback, look, fire away at those wide receivers. Get your tight end straight. Make sure your running backs are in line. Just keep firing away and then take, when it's appropriate, get that QB2 before it completely dries up. Not at the very bottom of it. That's why I like that. She didn't wait till the very bottom because if she wouldn't have taken Flacco there, she would have missed that run of Rivers, Tannehill, Freeman, serviceable quarterbacks that you can pretty much count on uh, in a buy or an injury situation or just down weeks for Matt Ryan. Uh, it was a very good time to QB2, and I think that's real important. So I, I like that model, quarterback in the fifth or sixth. You know, I, I might have even waited and risked it until the sixth, maybe even the seventh with as deep as the quarterbacks are. But if I would have waited to the seventh, may not have got any of those guys. Uh, I still feel good about an Eli Manning. I still feel good about a Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, these are guys that are, are definitely going to contribute, especially in a draft master format. They're going to have big games, and you just need to back them up later. So, But if you're going to take Matt Ryan, uh, I like the fact that you wait till the 13th and you get that QB2. And so not a, a very good effort for, uh, for, for Candace uh, showing up here tonight. Let's look at the other female in the draft. Christy Franklin shows up tonight, and uh, let, let's see what she does at WWKD here in the 10-hole. Starts with Julio Jones, Jimmy Graham, Aaron Rodgers, Eric Decker, Antonio Brown. I love that start, but where are the running backs, Jim? <laughs> Definitely waited a while for running back before she got into it. And, uh, it, you know, she's playing numbers game with running back. She hopes she gets enough that could do enough on any given day. But it's definitely not like she's looking at the running backs to be her uh, point of strong feature on this team, that's for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a little risky. I do love the fact that she's starting. She has a Lance Moore. Uh, she she has a um, uh, Aaron Rodgers that she took early. I mean, but if you're going to wait on – if you're going to take a tight end and a quarterback early, you better nail those running backs. So, you know, if she's not right about Eddie Lacy, if she's not right about Jonathan Stewart, either one of those picks, which both present incredible risk of not being every week starters, 
uh, you're going to be hurting every week at that RB spot. So uh, you, you, I would like to see an RB anchor in there somewhere to make me feel a little better when I leave the draft. Not to say she's not going to do it. Not to say she's not 100% right. I just feel better uh, when I leave the draft if I had that RB anchor. Let's let's take a look at the 12 holes since we already looked at, looked at Duck earlier. Uh, incredible. Eric Reeves here. Marshawn Lynch at 12, possibly facing a suspension, but that that thing has lived on and drug on forever. I don't know if there's ever going to be a resolution. I think the the Players Association is doing their job to to get this thing to drag out, and and eventually it's going to just bite the dust. You know, I I don't see Lynch missing time. That's just a gut feeling. I don't have an inside situation or inside intelligence there, but I I don't feel like he's going to miss t- uh, miss any time. Takes Drew Brees and waits for that QB2 till the 13th round. So I do like that. So that's that's the number one component there. If you're going to take Drew Brees, don't take the quarterback later or early. Take it later so he does that. And he gets Welker, Bo, Deshaun Jackson, Bolden, and Vincent Brown. Jimmy, I like that five. Well, um, okay. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, you know, it, it's definitely some risk there. I, I love Welker, of course. I like Bo probably more now than I have at any point, just because I, I think I like Alex Smith more than most people do. Um, so I don't mind that. Bolden, you know, is in San Fran. If he can take a lion's share of the work, and you know, it'd be real nice. I'm just a little worried that it's not going to happen that way. Um, Vincent Brown, I like, uh, a, you know, a decent amount if he can get healthy. I'm not a big Stephen Hill fan. And Deshaun Jackson, I'm just not sure if he's a great fit in that offense. So it's going to be interesting to see if he if he molds into that offense uh, well or if Macklin becomes the lead guy in that offense. Oh, man, I, and I saw you gloss over uh, Deshaun Jackson. I What you said about um, Dwayne Bowe, I, I completely think is Deshaun Jackson. I don't think there's ever been a better time to draft Deshaun Jackson. I think that offense uh, – that Kelly has there, everybody's talking about it. And yeah, there's a little bit of doubt that creeps up that he's going to pull a Deshaun Jackson. Uh, but maybe that has a little bit more to do with uh, what we've seen out of the quarterback position in Philly for the last couple of years than it does Deshaun Jackson. Because when he had a, when he had a reliable uh, gunslinger throwing him the ball, uh, it kind of uh, made, you know, that hasn't changed. I know it's still Vic, but I, I think the offense, what Chip Kelly brings to the table is going to give Deshaun Jackson the best chance to succeed. So I'm not as uh, I'm not worried. Now, would I rather have a Torrey Smith or a Josh, maybe even a Josh Gordon? Maybe so. Even a Greg Jennings is sitting there. Uh, you know, these are guys that feel a little safer than Deshaun Jackson. So maybe he's more of like a six round guy for me, but I do like the Vic Ballard pick in a six round. I mean, at the end of the day, He's the starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. It's a high-powered offense. They say they're going to run the ball more. They want to run the ball more. Whether or not they're going to be able to is going to be the, the thing that we're going to have to watch. I mean, at the end of the day, they, they they may have this philosophy that says they want to run, but you still have Andrew Luck. You have an improved defense. Uh, you, you're, you're going to be in games, but the question is when push comes to shove and it's in the second half, are you going to be able to rely on your ground game or are you going to have to ask Luck to win the games? And so – that's probably the situation you're going to see in Indianapolis is that Luck's going to be asked to win, and he's going to throw up ridiculous numbers in his second year. And But but Vic Ballard as a starting running back in the league with not a lot of competition there. We can talk about Donald Brown and Delone Carter being, you know, it, it being a timeshare situation. It's really not. It's I think it's Vic Ballard's chance to shine. Well, it is. And 
you know, they're definitely going to give him the chance to be that go-to back. And the thing I actually like about the situation is because they are going to go to that shorter passing game, they're already talking about getting him the ball more in the passing game. And that that's something we want to see out of, out of this guy. I mean, he only had, what, 15 receptions all of last year. Um, so I'd like to see more of that come about. But, you know, again, this was an Arians offense. They don't throw to the running backs very often. So I think we're going to see that increase. And this is another guy, if he catches 30 passes or so, you're looking at a nice increase in his points. Uh, well, there's look, there's a lot we could talk about. We're going to analyze this draft. We're going to throw it up there on the board, uh, let everybody take a look at it. This is the first of many drafting goes for the year, and uh, it's an exciting format. It is 26 rounds. It's not your total points type of draft master. you got to make sure you read your rules, uh, but it is utilizing a head-to-head component it's patterned after our main event, and so that's going to be a nice, interesting twist to the whole draft master type format where it's not just going to be a total points shootout where you're just trying to score points. You actually have an opponent here that you're going to be head-to-head with every single week. That's kind of a nice twist for draft masters that we don't see a lot of. I'm in one of those types of leagues, and I absolutely love it. I love the draft master format, and going up against the head-to-head team, uh, it, it presents a, a, some nice, compelling, you know, uh, and look, this isn't a league you're going to pay a ton of attention to. It's going to be one of those leagues you check out uh, week to week, see how it did. Did it get the W or not? You're going to go in there. You're going to see if it got the W. There's no waivers. There's no lineups. You're going to go in every week. You're going to maybe check it out on uh, Sunday afternoon, maybe Sunday evening to see if you're going to get if you're looking like a win. Maybe you'll check it out on Monday night after the game or before the game and after the game. And that's about it. You're going to just check out this, 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 the live scoring and the weekly results. Uh, and that's the good thing about these leagues, Jimmy. You don't have to be married to it. You don't have to worry about it. You bookmark it. You pull up the live scoring. You check it out. You see how you're doing. And if it's in contention for the money, if it's in the first half or the top half of the league after about the halfway of the season, you start to take a little bit more of an interest because, look, it's money in your pocket. So uh, I love the Draftmaster format, and I'm glad to have uh, you a part of it, Jimmy, because you have all the experience in the world in Draftmaster and hope to have you involved in these drafts uh, moving forward, man. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to be involved. I love doing this stuff. Well, that is Fantasy Taz. Check him out there. And where else can we find you, buddy? Hey, FantasyTaz.com or at FantasyTaz on Twitter. We like to keep it simple. That's it, man. All right, buddy. Well, thank you for being being with us tonight. And uh, we will continue to break this draft down for everybody in the chat room. Uh, Much appreciated that you, uh, you, you joined up and you took advantage of this draft and go. We're also going to be doing qualifier leagues on Friday nights. Now, those are actual satellite leagues. Those are actually $175 to play, but it is a league just like, uh, look, you're trying to win a main event seat. So that's a league you're going to put in a lineup and you're going to do waivers in. If you want to get signed up for that, you have the link there on over on FF Toolbox on the games page, uh, and you can find it and check it out. And we'll try to get one of those off and going this week on Friday night. And we will cover that one live on Red vs. Blue uh, from the beginning of the draft ongoing. So... We appreciate everybody playing, and uh, let's let's keep doing it, Jimmy. Oh, absolutely, Scott. Keep it up, folks. Thanks, my man. Everybody in the chat room, we appreciate it. The crew, uh, Mikey will be back with us on Friday night. And uh, until then, we guys will see you on the message boards. Take care.
You've been listening to Red vs. Blue Sports Talk Radio, where Planet Red and Big Blue Nation collide. With your hosts, Scott Atkins and Michael Trent. Please join us next time.